Successful Performer Cast, Season 8, Episode 12. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Successful Performer Cast. This week we have Al the Only, and he talks about how he's found success in being a general practitioner of magic. He also talks about how he came up with his brand of Al the Only. It's a really interesting story. I think you guys are going to like it. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Al the Only. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Al the Only. For over 35 years, Al has traveled the country with his magic, performing for corporate clients, doing their trade shows, conventions, business meetings, hospitality suites, and holiday parties. This includes companies like Apple, General Motors, Coca-Cola, AT&T, and McDonald's. You may also remember him from Ask the Only, which was his column in the Magic Menu, where he fielded questions about the business side of magic. Today, he is here to share his thoughts on show business with us. Al the Only, I am thrilled to have you as a guest on the Successful Performer Cast. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you, Chris. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> so we, we like to start off with a little bit of inspiration uh, right at the top of the show. And so the first thing I would like to ask you is if you have a favorite success quote or a specific mantra that you like to live by. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, perception is everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one would be, don't sweat the big stuff. Now, I realize that's 180 degrees turn of the old saying don't worry about the little things right but i i believe the opposite somehow at some point the big stuff just works itself out and on the other hand the little stuff just gnaws at you starts arguments ruins days gets in the way of relationships so it's the little things the details that need your immediate attention Hmm. and then finally uh, my mantra i picked this up from my dear friend michael mode who turned me on to this you never know when you're making a memory. Oh, interesting. You know what? I, I love that because, I mean, we, we do shows, we perform, you know, and, you know, we're, we're constantly, you know, in, in other people's minds, I guess, kind of shifting reality because that's what we do as magicians. And mm-hmm. so even, even in that, I mean, it's clear that, that we're, we're making memories, but even even in our, our regular business dealings with people, like when we're on the phone, uh, you know, talking about somebody's gig or, or whatever, even in those little moments, we can we can be making a memory as well. Well, without a doubt. I mean, take, for instance, just our chance meeting at the Magic Castle two mm-hmm. months ago. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it, whether it was serendipitous or, you know, things got aligned the right way, but you just never know when you're making a memory. Mm-hmm. And that brings people together and makes things happen. Absolutely. Has uh, can you think of any specific instance where maybe you didn't realize you were making a memory, but after the fact, it kind of dawned on you? Oh, I, I, I can come. I have specific uh, things that I could share with you. 
uh, first one that comes to mind without really knowing that you were going to ask me this, mm-hmm. I was working a restaurant and a family came in who were clients. Uh, so I had done events for them. But uh, that particular night, uh, the, the, the wife, the spouse, uh, just got very teary-eyed. Mm-hmm. And I knew that some of my material wasn't the best, but I couldn't imagine it being that bad. And the husband kind of piped up and said, uh, you don't understand how important you are to our family. And I said, well, I appreciate that, but if you could elaborate. Apparently, the last time they came into the restaurant, the lady was with her elderly father, mm-hmm. who I didn't know was two days away from dying. And the evening was such a pleasant memory. The father had the best time that they were left as a memory with. He was laughing. He was enjoying himself because of my visit to their table. Yeah. And it was that positive memory that they have held on to and just bring smiles to their faces. And I had something to do with that without ever even realizing it. Wow. That's, that's amazing. You know, and so sometimes, sometimes, and especially at restaurants, you know, it's easy to go there and just kind of, you know, go through your routine and, and some people might call it, it phoning it in, but you know, the, the fact that you were there for that, that family and you were there present with them, you became part of that memory. And the next time you saw them, they were able to give that to you as a gift, you know? Exactly. And, and all of us workers, uh, we can have a litany of events like that. Mm. Uh, walking into a situation where all of a sudden you feel some little person hugging your leg <laughs> because of something you did and they remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll probably hear me referring to my, to my dear friend Michael Mode several times in this podcast because uh, he just... Other than being a wonderful individual, he helps me with creative ideas. But uh, we, I'm standing with Bob Sheets trying to weasel our way into an airplane club in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And uh, neither of us are members of that particular club. We go inside. We're trying to scam our way in there just to have a nice, comfortable seat and maybe a, co- a free cocktail or two. And I come out and I make a napkin rose for the lady behind the counter. This lady just goes to a place in her life and she started telling us about her rose garden that she once had. Mm-hmm. Sheets wanted to do cups and balls. <laughs> I kind of doubt that we would have ever gotten into that club, even though his cups and balls are, are flawless and beautifully orchestrated. Right. But that simple gift of a napkin rose took that lady to a place. And there you go again. You never know when you're making a memory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's something that we should all keep in the back of our minds, you know. And that's something that can also help us help to keep us accountable as well, you know. Thank you. So. I've, got, I've got two other quotes that uh, unless you have a sec- seven-second delay 
<laughs> you probably have a family audience. I probably won't share them with the group. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, we'll just uh, we'll just have my listeners right now to uh, go go over and uh, put earmuffs on the kids for a moment, and I'll, I'll let you go ahead and share those, and may, maybe uh, maybe I'll cut them out later or or not. But let's, right, let's hear I- what they are. I can always whisper into the mic from, yeah. nah, nah, these, these are rude crude. And uh, these are the types of things that, you know, the guys talk about with, with a couple of cocktails. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that anybody who's in the business has a gist of, you know, some comments, but uh, not necessary for our, for okay. our meeting tonight. <laughs> no worries. All right. So let's take things back uh, to, to the beginning of Al the Only. Could you talk about, not necessarily how you got into magic, but how you decided that you wanted to take your passion full time and, you know, how that played out for you. Well, I was 20 years old. I was working for Chevrolet, mm-hmm. going to college, actively dating, uh, getting paid the same amount as a person with a couple of kids, a mortgage and a spouse. And my biggest expenses were my rent, my car and my clothes. I was doing an occasional magic show whenever I could book one. The year was 1979, mm-hmm. and, and I was in the factory getting my paycheck before leaving for Christmas vacation when the supervisor asked me for my ID badge, and he told me that I wasn't coming back in January. Huh. I, I was being laid off with thousands of auto workers and... That was it. That was my career working for Chevrolet. So the first year was rather easy because I had my unemployment. Mm -hmm. But basically that evening, I sat down and promised myself that if I could match my factory income, I would never look back. At that time, I was already doing shows on the side. Mm -hmm. I had been involved in magic for roughly 10 years from the day I was introduced to it to that point. So it took me three years to accomplish my goal, but I've been doing magic full-time since 1980. Wow. So what were some of the the first steps that you took then? I mean, you you were already doing shows on the side. So what kind of things did you do to ramp that up, like marketing-wise? Oh, boy. Well... There's a couple of there's always a series of things that happen together, Mm -hmm. and when you when you try and differentiate them or or put them in some kind of chronological order, uh, they they seem to happen all together. And there's that burst that either shows you the light or takes you down the path or opens up the path, I should say. Um, Well. Zig Ziglar used to say, you will get more of what you want when you help others get what they want. I absolutely agree. And that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, I love that. And I was fortunate enough to be working at a magic shop for a Halloween break. Mm -hmm. And they had Larry Tallman, or I should say Larry Valentine, who was Ben Tallman do a lecture about marketing and it was, it had everything to do with direct mailing. Okay. So 
I followed his advice to the T. I would do direct mailings. I would buy or try and find mailing lists either by calling local chambers of commerce mm-hmm. or then I, like I said, I, I actually went out and bought lists of certain industries that I thought would have events that I could work. And I was doing direct mailing sometimes as much as four or six times a year. It may have been a postcard. It may have been a novelty item. But between doing the direct mailing and landing a full-time restaurant job, being the house magician, those are the two things that pretty much were the foundation of my business. Okay, okay. Now, when you say full-time restaurant gig, what does that mean? That means I was making as much money doing magic at restaurants as some people were at an eight, at a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all of the other bookings were my gravy. (laughs) The, 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 the kitty birthday parties on weekends, the bar mitzvahs, the blue and gold banquets, the company picnics, the Christmas parties. That was the extra fun vacations or the nicer car or the cooler clothes, uh, the, the, the whacked out stereo system. Uh, this, the restaurant magic was the staple of my business. Okay. So that was kind of, kind of your, the cornerstone of your business then? Absolutely. Restaurant work? Okay. Absolutely. That's where, that's where, that's where I, I, I was able to be bad. That's mm. where I was able to hone new material and that's where i met a lot of people who booked me they saw me working and all of a sudden hey we've got this coming up can you do it uh we'd like you to use you for that do you do that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and the answer was always yes 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 <laughs> and i think the reason the reason i've been able to do magic as a full-time career for 35 years is it's my job mm-hmm. I go to an office. I have sales meetings. I have marketing meetings. I have planning meetings. I have a full-time CPA on staff. I make phone calls, send texts, do emails. This is my job. This is my business. And this is my living. So all of those things happening together and the dedication to work this as a business has allowed me to have the lifestyle that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I, I think this is actually the, the perfect segue to go into one of the other reasons that you, you attribute your success to is being a general practitioner in magic. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? You know, I really don't know where that term came from or who gave me the idea that I, I, uh, I was such the individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the, the term general practitioner comes from, from the medical field. Uh, but basically, I am able to fill the needs of a variety of customers. In other words, I don't specialize in one type of magic mm-hmm. or a certain genre of magic. I do a little bit of close-up. I do a little bit of comedy. I do a, I do a couple of illusions. Mm-hmm. I'm able to script. I'm able to pitch. I'm able to basically help a client with their needs. So, you know, you've got these guys who, are, who do knuckle-busting close-up. 
you've got guys who just do phenomenal things with with large illusions. I just need to accomplish the needs of a client. And because of that, I'm always working. And then as time went by, I started getting away from the family parties, getting away from the children's parties, getting away from the school shows, even though now I am back into school shows. Uh, I got away from doing restaurant magic, even though I'm back to trying to do restaurants. But because I travel so much, I don't have the time to commit myself to a weekly schedule at a local restaurant. Right. So um, I'm at a loss for words because I'm, I'm, my brain's kind of going on so many different tangents. Yeah. So yeah. by being a general practitioner, I can accomplish the needs of a client, regardless if he needs me for a trade show or his son's wedding, mm-hmm. whether it's a hospitality suite or their annual national uh, awards banquet or incentive travel event. So that's, that's another thing that's kept me busy without working a theater, without working a club or a lounge or a comedy club. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. So, um, Obviously, the uh, the um, general practitioner term, like you said, comes from the the medical field. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, one thing my my friend Lou Serrano says is you want to be the go to guy, and it kind of it kind of feels like that's how you're summing things up. Is that you are your go to guy for all of your clients and whatever they might need? Correct. Okay, that's a great summation of that. Now, is this a strategy that you've had from the beginning, or was it something you just kind of evolved into? Does that make sense? It really does. I think it's something that I evolved into, Mm -hmm. and then once I got there, I started polishing the rough edges. I started knowing exactly what I was doing rather than, than just getting lucky. You know, It was basically a client asking me, can I do that, and without hesitation i said absolutely and then i i ran around like a chicken without a head trying to figure (laughs) out how am i going to accomplish this right you know sometimes i had to rent a prop sometimes i had to have a prop built sometimes it cost me money to do the show even though i was getting paid very well but i didn't want this person to get away because if obviously if i couldn't deliver there was probably somebody else who could Mm -hmm. that's a very good point yeah. Now, some people say that the the way for you to succeed, you have to niche down or focus on a specific market. What would you say to those people? I think they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, for for a lot of people, it's absolutely correct. You know, the the I I I, I know guys who do niche markets. Uh, there there's uh, Doug Shear, very dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. back in Detroit. He is a phenomenal school performer. I mean, he's, he's made a wonderful career, lives in a gorgeous house, has a beautiful family, and he's home every day by 4.30, 5 o'clock to the point where at one time he was working auto shows. At, other, at another point in his career, he was doing uh, stand-up comedy magic. Not only is the guy a fabulous entertainer, but he's made a wonderful career doing school shows. Yeah. So. Any pro who looks down at a school show performer and says, eh, 
you know, a uh, couple of rung, rungs down the ladder below me. <laughs> uh, you know, they haven't met the guys or haven't spent any time with the guys like Danny Orleans or Doug Shear. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a list of them. I mean, yeah, it, David Kay. Yeah, oh, sure. Yep. I mean, who would have thought a clown could be making 500 bucks for a kitty birthday party right. on a Saturday? And that was 20 years ago. Yeah. So, no, I have a great deal of respect. And it, 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 it works for some people. It didn't for me. I prefer to be able to pull out a zigzag or a dollhouse or a sub trunk mm-hmm. and then also pull out a deck of cards and have as much fun and probably make even more money than by pulling out the big props. Yeah, so. yeah. Yep, absolutely. So now being a general practitioner, were there any kind of gigs that you would not take? No, I think I took most of them that came along. Like mm-hmm. I said, I just said yes, and then I figured out how to do them. Right. <laughs> there, there, are, there are a few gigs that got past me that now I regret that I didn't do, or it's no longer in any foreseeable future that I would do them. For instance, uh, one of the gigs that I wish I would have done is worked at an amusement park. Mm. Uh, back in my twenties, that would have probably been very appealing. Now that I'm in my late fifties, there is no appeal to it at all. <laughs> those guys who do those shows really work hard. Yeah. Um, even though I've worked a college or two, I can't really say that I've worked colleges. Uh, and at this point in my career, I have no desire to work colleges. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but like I said, I'm back in the, in the school show market and absolutely loving it and knocking down some serious coin doing it. <laughs> but, uh, but there's a part of me that's doing it because it's my way of giving back. I've come up with the show that I call ROAR. It's an acronym, R-O-A-R, Respect Others, Act Responsibly. It's a positive behavioral program that talks to kids about respect, responsibility, obviously, but using good manners, bully prevention, self-esteem, character building, uh, never being a father, but being a favorite uncle a few times over. It's almost my way of giving back that maybe I can help a kid by doing this show. And by talking to them, because, you know, there are more and more kids that are coming from broken households. Yeah. And if there is, if there are two parents present, the amount of time a child gets with the parent is so limited by the time either one gets home, the parent or the child. And then before one of them has to go to bed and start the day over again, quite honestly, kids spend more time with their teachers and their friends than they do with family members. Mm. So, uh, so anyway, uh, long story short, uh, this became a necessity when, when uh, times got rough a few years ago, everyone said you had to reinvent yourself. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be a brain surgeon. I have no desire to get my hands dirty with manual labor. Why not reinvent myself to the point where I was when I was making money? And what was that point? I was working restaurants. I was doing school shows. And all the corporate stuff was gravy. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm back into the school show market and rather glad I made the decision to do so. Because now what happens, for instance, on Friday night, I'm leaving for Orlando. Uh, I, have a nice. corporate gig. I have a corporate gig that I have to do. Well, I have to do. A corporate gig that I'm going to be doing. 
they're paying my airfare, they're paying my hotel, they're paying my food, they're paying, they're giving me a rent a car. So I called up a few show, a few schools in the area, and said, "Hey, look, I'm in the area. Yes, there is a fee, but you're not paying me to get here. Would you like a great program for your kids?" So I pick up a couple of extra, a uh, couple of extra bucks. I get to stay in an area a few extra days that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise because part of the allure of traveling for me is getting to eat at restaurants and checking out sites and going to attractions. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. I like that. And it's interesting because when you were talking about doing these uh, school shows, I was uh, thinking that maybe you were doing them around where you live. But the fact that you're you're coupling them with corporate gigs that you're traveling to do is really intriguing to me. So you're you're um you're basically researching schools that are around where you're at and then are you giving them phone calls or how how are you uh, going about that? Basically I do an I do an email blast. Mm-hmm. And for instance, if I have if the if the event happens to be in a small town or in an off the beaten path area where maybe there is one or two schools within 15, 20 minute drive, mm-hmm. then I'll call the school. But okay. if I'm in a, if I'm in a major metropolitan area or a resort area, uh, I, I just send out an email. And if somebody, it's like fishing, you drop enough lines. If, a, yeah. if you catch one, awesome. If you don't, it's not that big of a deal. Okay. And so are are you getting like about how many of those are you getting per gig that you're, or I guess per corporate gig? You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It's, what, what, repeat the question, please. Sorry. Um, how many, about how many school gigs are you getting um, per, per outing? I guess like if, if you're going to be, you're, you're going to be in Orlando performing at the corporate event um, about how many uh, school gigs are you getting? Well, in, in this case, my show is actually on Tuesday, my, okay. my, my corporate gig. Mm-hmm. I will leave home on Friday night, get into Orlando on Sunday very early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I'll have Sunday afternoon off, which means I'll go and visit with some friends. And then on Monday, I've got two, show, two schools to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday night, I'm hoping to make it to Wizards to, to see my old buddy Carl Andrews work. Oh, yeah. Uh, if if I can't, well, then, you know that's just the timing of it. Tuesday, I get to the venue. I do my corp. I do my event. Wednesday, I'm going to do. I'm going to play a round of golf near Ocala. And Thursday, I get on an airplane and fly back home. So in this case, there will be two school shows. Mm-hmm. Now in December, in the throw of the busiest month of the year, I get a phone call from a school in in Rhode Island. They said, you know, you were here two years ago. We would love to have you back. Can you be here in November or December? Well, living in Hawaii and being the smart aleck that I am, I shot off an email to the lady and said, don't you have something called snow there at about that time of year? <laughs> and she laughed. And, but I, so, so finally, I, I, she, was, she was adamant about it. She wanted me back. And I said, well, look, if you can get me 10 schools... I'll come to Rhode Island. Hmm. Well, she got me 15 of them. Nice. I wasn't able to say no to that. Wow. Now, I'm not complaining. Trust me, you heard a little sigh there. 
In 20 days, I flew 25,000 miles, performed in five states, 14 cities, and did 35 shows. That was a combination of the school shows and the corporate stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Trust, I mean... That's a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah, but I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Gosh, I, I had such a great time. It was such a good feeling to be working that much. And the only thing that saved me is I happened to hit a December with mild weather. Had there been any inclement weather anywhere in the country, uh, there's no way I could have done it. I was literally finishing a show, rushing to the airport, jumping on a plane, traveling any amount of hours, sometimes as many as six to get to somewhere else, to get off the airplane, find the venue, take a shower, go back to the venue, do a gig, uh, just to jump on an airplane the very next morning. Uh, It was invigorating. It was fun. I even got a weekend off where I ran into New York and got to see the illusionists on Broadway. Oh, nice. Yeah, caught another. I spent the day with my buddy Jeff Hobson. Yeah. He and I, our boy, we were (laughs) boys. Young friend. I mean, he was 14 and I was, I think I was 16 when we first met. Uh, So that's many, many years ago. But it was just a great, it was one of those great Decembers. Now, I'm talking to you about leaving this Friday to do uh, a a corporate thing in in Orlando, or actually it's almost closer to the Gulf Coast, but I have to fly into Orlando. I'm already getting announcements from United Airlines saying that there could be delays in travel. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, things like that happen, and that's why I always try and get to an area at least a day or two before, and uh, just for the sake that, heck, I've just traveled, you know, 5,000 miles. I might as well stay there and enjoy myself a couple of extra days. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, good point. Now, it, with, with that in mind, you're actually traveling with two shows, correct? You've got your corporate show and your school show. <laughs> yes, absolutely correct. <laughs> so, I mean, does all this stuff – Pack flat and play big. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Boy, wouldn't I love to say yes to that? <laughs> uh, actually, the corporate stuff is shipped. It's it's mm. it's already sitting at the hotel waiting for me. I FedExed it to myself. Okay. So even even if if a carrier like Federal Express screwed up on delivery, it's shipped. W- I mean, I have two of everything that I do. Yeah. So I could I could have units crisscross each other and be waiting for me when I arrive. I even I have two sets of my school show. I have two sets of my corporate stuff. I have two sets of trade show stuff. Uh, obviously, the close-up case is, is a shaving kit that I can literally tuck under my arm, and it's never out of my reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we speak, Federal Express is shipping my, my show to the hotel where I'm going to be at. The, the school show fits in a large suitcase. Uh, because I travel as many miles as I do, I don't pay for luggage. I can carry as many as three bags with 70 pounds each in each bag without being charged. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's a convenience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now going back to, uh, you know, being the, the go-to person for your clients, have you ever gotten any really bizarre requests from a client and how would you approach these special instances? The most unusual show I ever did is I was hired to steal from a department store. Ooh, that's interesting. A very high-profile law firm in Detroit called me up, asked me to their offices, 
their address was one Woodward Avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Woodward Avenue is a major thoroughfare that starts at the Detroit River and stretches miles and miles and goes into the affluent suburbs of Bloomfield Hills where the Lee Iacocas and uh, uh, sports celebrities and TV people all live. Anyway, uh, so I get into this, I get into this boardroom and they throw a videotape into the, into the TV and I'm sitting there and I'm watching this. And after about three and a half minutes, I looked up at the guy and said, well, uh, I'm not really sure what I'm watching and I'm really not sure what you would like me to see. Mm -hmm. And he basically told me that they believe this person has been stealing from the company and they don't have to prove it. They just have to show a reasonable doubt that it is possible. So I said, well, I cannot conclusively say that I'm seeing her steal, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that I could mimic her moves frame by frame and you will come up short. Hmm. Basically, this lady was the gal who sat in the cage and counted out the daily receipts. And she had been with the company for 27 years. Hmm. And they were firing this woman. And there were, there were two other reasons she was being fired. Right, okay. Uh, one was insubordination. The third one was, I don't know what it was. but uh, So they just had to prove that there was a chance for her to be stealing. Mm-hmm. Well, I took the videotape to a bank president who was a friend of mine, and he watched it, and he called me up. He says, she's definitely stealing. Yeah. I, you know, these people live with money just like you and I live with a deck of cards. Exactly. Uh, so I called up the attorney, and at this time I had some coaching from a, from, from a couple of attorney friends of mine. They said, mm-hmm. look, you undercharged. This is what you should be charging. <laughs> I didn't realize that these guys got paid by the 15-minute increments. Right. And, uh, so I went back. I said, look, uh, here's, here's what I need. I, I, if we're going to do this, we need to do this in the place where this happened. And uh, I need to know where this camera is. Mm-hmm. Because I, obviously with misdirection, if it's coming off your left shoulder, you hide things a certain way. If it's coming up in front of you, you will hide things other ways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I basically bought a sweater to match this woman's sweater. It was this thick Argyle type sweater. If, if she scratched her left earlobe, I scratched my left earlobe. If her hand dropped out of sight for a quarter of a second, my, I mimicked her move for move. Anyway, we get to the department store. I was introduced to everybody. They had their security people there. They had the store manager there. They had a district guy out there. And uh, I said, okay, I need to see where the camera is. And they wouldn't let me see where the camera was. But they took me through a maze of a hallway mm-hmm. and took me into a room and removed some boxes, and behind these boxes were all these monitors. Now, you have to remember, it wasn't that this was 30 years ago. This wasn't the technology that we have now, mm-hmm. but it was still fiber optic. So, because I could not see where that lens was, hmm. even after seeing 
what angle the camera was going to be catching me. So once I knew what angle the camera was set at, I went into the room. They asked me how much money I wanted. I said, well, look, just give me 100 single-dollar bills. The denomination of the money isn't important. And I, I said, uh, I'm going to go in there and, and do what this lady did. As they were locking me into the cage, one of the managers said, well, look, we don't care what you do while you're in there. As long as when you come out there, you will still have the $100 bills. I said, and how much time are you going to give me to do this? They said, you can take all the time you want. I said, great. In that case, I won't be needing this watch. And I handed back one of the security people's watches. <laughs> These people freaked. Okay, so I get in there and basically I just ran through the movements that I had been studying. Mm -hmm. And then I threw in some special moves and when I came out, they're all laughing and they're all snickering. And they said, and the, the attorney, who, the law firm who hired me, they said, what the heck were you doing in there? What was your purpose of showing off? I said, well, yes, it was showing off. But I also wanted to give you the ammunition that there were other ways to get that money out of there that you didn't see on the videotape that the lady did. Hmm. So the, the only thing is I never followed up to see what happened. Quite honestly, I think this department store spent more money in their defense than they would have had they let the lady just retire. Uh, but wow. that was that was so that was probably one of the most unique performing things I had to do. That is very very interesting. Had they hired you for anything else after that, or was it nope. just a one-off thing? Yeah, never never heard from them again. You know, I thought maybe I would have gotten a Christmas party out of them <laughs> or. Or some kind of client appreciation oh, function. Uh, yeah. Like I say, this was this was a long time ago. Before I, I was very savvy as to infiltrating a client, which is one of the things I learned from one of my mentors, mm -hmm. Dick Ryan. I mean, I would have been all over them to do a bunch of stuff today, but uh, yeah, if, at that time it was just a one-time deal. Okay. Okay. Now, have you ever had any instances where you had to call on a colleague that may have been better suited for a specific gig? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, and, and that's one of the ways of delivering to the client. Mm -hmm. I mean, most, most people are either afraid or intimidated that by letting go of a gig, they've lost a client. And that right. does happen. I mean, if, if somebody finds out that somebody else could do something for them, uh, where's the real need to call person A back? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, w once you have established a rapport with a client, I mean, I cannot make an elephant disappear, mm -hmm. nor can I make an automobile appear. Uh, so all of a sudden, I become the producer of the show and hire somebody who can accomplish that feat. Okay. Okay. So that way they're still working with you, but you're the one who's hiring the other person then? Correct. Okay. And most of the time people hire you is because not, not so much for the entertainment aspect or the magic value. They're hiring you in a kitty birthday party to babysit their kids while the mothers are in the kitchen, either sipping some wine or getting the, the hot dogs or pizza together. Right. Uh, <laughs> They're hiring you because they don't want to train their staff 
to learn how to stop a crowd in a trade show aisle and bring them into the booth. Mm -hmm. They are hiring you because you can make their life easy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is your name. You are Al the Only, which is a very unique name. And I was hoping you could take a moment and talk about how you arrived at that and maybe about how your brand has kind of developed over your career. It'd be a pleasure to tell you about it. Um, when I was just getting into magic and reading the books on Houdini and Blackstone and a few others, it became very evident that none of these people used their birth names. Mm-hmm. Houdini was Eric Weiss. Blackstone was Bhutan. Uh, even in the acting field, uh, you know, performers, Jack Benny was not Jack Benny. John Wayne was not John Wayne. These were all names that people use. And I just assumed that if you were going to be in the entertainment field, you needed a stage name. Well, uh, my given name is Alfred. And uh, I'm named after my dad. I, I knew at the age of 14 that there was nothing great about me. So Alfred the Great... Number one, he already had a place in history books. There was no reason that there could not be two Alfred the Greats. One had to be greater than the other. So Alfred the Great was kind of thrown out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my mentors was a gentleman by the name of Roy Kissel. Roy Kissel had a magic shop in Detroit called Fox Fun and Magic, and he called himself the Amazing Mr. Kissel. Hmm. Well, again, at the age of 14, I knew there was really nothing amazing about me. Mm-hmm. And basically, I just sat down and I started writing out things. Alfred the Great, the amazing Alfred, uh, the amazing Ullman. My family name is actually five letters, U-L-M-A-N, Ullman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very happy with my family. I'm proud of my parents. Uh, so it's not like I'm trying to hide the fact of my name. It's just at one point, I became somebody else or I took on the character of somebody else. And I just started writing and all of a sudden came out Al the Only. Now, I do say that the way I came up with the name is I was playing the Ouija with Alice one night. (laughs) Okay. So if you are a rock and roll fan, you know that Alice Cooper always said the way he came up with his name is that he was playing the Ouija board and it spelled out Alice Cooper. So that's kind of uh, a little throwback to Alice. A homage. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I love Alice Cooper. Anyway, uh, so Al the Only came out and it uh, it was kind of cute. It uh, was to say it's catchy. It was catchy. It was a nickname to some. uh, And yet it was, it it distinguished me. You know, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of so-and-so the greats or the great so-and-so or so-and-so the magician. Uh, So that distinguished me. And I was rooming with Gene Anderson at an Abbott's magic convention, probably in the late seventies. And it finally got to the point where I knew that magic was kind of going to be an important part of my life. And I thought that, well, maybe Alvy only was a little childish and I should probably go to my real name. Hmm. And Ullman, five letters. I cannot tell you how, how, how often that those five letters have been misspelled. Yeah. Single U, single L, single M, single A, single N. 
I've had double L's, double M's, double N's, <laughs> U-H-L, A-L-M-O-N-D. I'm anyway. So I'm talking to Gene Anderson, and he said, you know, the only reason I remembered you was because of your name. There was only one Alvy only. He said, and there should be an Alvy only. He said, you don't have to wear a garish costume. You don't have to have an off-the-wall personality. You just have to be Al the only. You are the only. The one who can deliver. You are that individual, that character. Back then, we really didn't talk about branding. But in today's terms, it did become a brand. Mm -hmm. You are hiring a brand. You, you, you can have a lot of magicians, but you can only have one, Al the only. So it was through Gene's advice and suggestion that I didn't drop Al the only, as if anything, I empowered it and I put all of my time and effort to make the individual Al the only, to the point where I've had clients who don't know my family name. Mm-hmm. It's Al the only. And it served me well because when I call a client, maybe after a few years, the executive secretary has an immediate recall of who's on the phone. <laughs> As opposed to, hi, this is Al Omen. Oh, you know, I was the magician who did your party four years ago, and I'm calling to talk to Mr. Bigwig, big shot owner of the company. But when I say, hey, this is Al the Only, all of a sudden you can feel the twinkle in the eye and the voice just puts a smile on the, you can, you can feel the smile across the phone. Oh, yeah. Uh, hang on. I'll get Mr. So-and-so t- uh, on the phone for you. Yeah, yeah. The thing I really like about it is that it's it's instantly recognizable. And, you know, the a couple of months ago when we were both at the Magic Castle and uh you know, I we were doing the uh the uh, strolling magic showdown, um and I had to say that I was really, really excited to hear that you were there and not only just there but also performing. And I'd remembered you from your your column in the magic menu. Well, and you, you know, there's only there can only be one <laughs> Al the only. So I mean, if it was Al the only, it had to be you, you know. Thank you. So yeah, and immediately recognizable. So I'm I'm really glad you you went into detail on that and in, in how you came up with your name. And you know, I've I've wondered about that myself because my name is Chris Shepard. Chris with a K, K R I S. That's easy to spell. Uh, but then there's Shepard, you know, there's so many ways to spell that, you know, you've got like the single P double P exactly P H or, or whatever, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) So, but I've never actually sat down to try and consider something that I would use. Maybe, uh, maybe I should do that. Perhaps that would be time well spent. It could be. I mean, does the name make the individual or does the individual make the name? Yes. Um, Both. I think it's it's a trade off. <laughs> I I I mean, I became Alvy only probably as far back as 1972, mm-hmm. even before I was doing magic full time. Hmm. And then after I took it full time, that's when I started building upon it. And and I'm very protective of that name too. For instance, a very dear friend of mine, Todd Carr. Yeah, uh, he was from the Detroit area. That Todd just put out the uh, the Ganson book. Uh, is, is it the Ganson book? Mm, I don't know. Um, Lou Ganson. 
Todd just put out an unbelievable book mm -hmm. and he wanted, he wanted to give me credit in the book. So he, he wrote me, he says, look, I know how you are about your name. I want to, I want to give you a little, a, a little thank you pat on the back, but I, I want to do it as my friend, Al Ullman. I said, well, Al Ullman is your friend, but Al Ullman means nothing to the magic world. Yeah. I said, I appreciate the thought, but if you're going to mention me, please mention me as Al the Ullman. And he wouldn't, and he didn't. Mm. And I said, you know, that's fine. It wasn't, it was nor here nor there for, on my behalf. I still love Todd. I know Todd loves me. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're buddies. So I, I didn't take it as a front or I didn't take right. it as, as, as anything diminishing to, to who I am or what I do. But I want the magic world to remember me as Al the only. Just like yeah. we remember, I mean, we will remember Houdini as Houdini and Blackstone as Blackstone and the many others who have used a stage name as opposed to their family name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. So, Al, we're here at the end of the show, and uh, this is um, – actually, you know what? There, there was uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you, um, and it's uh, – I, I wanted to ask you for a specific moment in your life where or, – or your career – um, that people might say is a failure moment, but you know, other people look at things like this as, uh, as stepping stones. And I was hoping you could share with us one specific moment that you'd experienced and, and what you took away from that. Hmm. I think success is a series of failures that have been capitalized on by attitude Mm -hmm. determination or perseverance. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had several failures in my career and majority of them have been financial. Okay. I consider myself a good business person, but I was spending money like there was no tomorrow. I mismanaged my credit I just, uh, I thought I'd always, always have this flood of cash coming in. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but because I'm hoping that by sharing this, it may help somebody else. I have lost all my money three times in my career, mm. even, even to the point of once going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's nothing that I'm proud of, but it's the reality of the business. Uh, but... I've been able to turn it around and build on it and be, uh, position myself better. So, for instance, this last, call it a recession, call it a depression. I've gone where we've had bad years, two or three bad years, three or four bad years, and somehow I always weathered through that. Well, this time I was not prepared for a seven-year downslope, mm -hmm. and it just basically took it all away from me. And, but now it's back on the rebound. So now I, you know, I keep, I, I've learned things as they went. Uh, I had a restaurant for 15 years and w within that 15 years, I either got fired or laid off. Well, I'll call it fired because a new manager came in, didn't like the idea. And then three months later, that manager was gone and I, I was sent back. <laughs> uh, you know, I was brought back by district or by corporate. The boomerang magician. Yeah, I, you know, and so, I mean, one of the times when the first time it happened, I thought my career was over. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Is like I told you earlier, the restaurant was my mainstay. Mm-hmm. So I was really, I, I was out on the streets looking for a job. Mm-hmm. And the only entry-level job that I could find was as a high-low driver. And I would have to work 40 hours a week to make $200 before take-home, before taxes. Well, at that time, geez, what was I charging? I was charging about $150 for a home party. That's how far long ago it's been. I told myself that I would spend 38 hours of the week to book two shows so that I could match that income. In other words, I didn't want to go and drive a high-low or do anything else. But I had to look at it from a financial point of view of how much can I make What's the effort I have to put into it to make it? Yeah. That's, that's what I mean about working this as a business. Right. For instance, it's, uh, it's 6 p.m. here in Maui. I have been up since 3 a.m. The, re- the reason I get up at 3 a.m. is because that's when I start making my East Coast phone calls. Good point. And then as the sun moves west, I go into the central time zone, the mountain time zone, the Pacific time zone. And in between, I am sending emails. I'm sending information. I'm, I'm talking to people. And knowing that you and I were going to be on the phone today, I wanted to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the adrenaline has just kept me going. Yeah. You know, my boss hasn't allowed me to take a, a, a break for lunch. He hasn't allowed me to take a break for, uh, for breakfast. My boss is a prick. He's demanding. He's deadline orientated. I hate the guy, but I'm my own boss. Yeah. You see him every day. You look in the mirror. Monday, my wife and I had a, had a play date. Mm-hmm. We went, played some golf. We ate at a restaurant we'd never been at. We spent the evening with Jody Barron and Kathleen because it was Kathleen's birthday. You know, so I guess on Monday, my boss wasn't too bad. <laughs> Today, yeah. not so so that's part of the business. You work hard, you play hard. Exactly. Yep, yep. What, is, uh, what has been your favorite success? I'm curious. Wow. You know, I actually, I actually made a note to myself about this. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scrolling because I'd really love to share this with you. Mm. I guess my favorite success is the relationships I have with my clients. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I've been very fortunate that I've had some clients for a couple of decades and I firmly believe that they hire me. Money is no longer the issue. The issue is, am I available to them? Mm -hmm. Talk about a wonderful feeling. Uh, I guess that's my biggest success is that. I have been able to cultivate relationships with my clients to the point where I have been a guest in their homes. I have attended family functions. Uh, that's that's got to be my my best success. That's beautiful. You've become their friends, and 
if there's one thing that I've learned from not only from these interviews that I've been doing, but also personally in, you know, in the, the, the beginning of my magic career essentially is that people do business with their friends. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You buy things from people you like. Yeah. You're not selling the product. You're selling your, you're selling you. And if I could leave something with the listeners, it's not about the magic. Forget the magic. Mm. It's about people. Yep. You have to give them what they want. <laughs> you have to deliver what they need and you have to over deliver. Now, I don't mean spending all night walking around doing a card trick after card trick. When you're done working, you're done working. Right. These people want to spend time with you, the person. It is as important to spend time with the client after the show as it was for you to get that standing ovation when you did the show. It's the hang time with the client that has allowed me the successes that I've enjoyed. Mm, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yep. Well, so uh, now here we are at the end of the show, and this is where I just have you make a couple of recommendations for our listeners. And the first thing I'd like you to recommend is a resource that you always use. And uh, this could be anything from an iPhone app to something like a prop list for your show. And then we'll get to the books in a moment here. Okay. Uh, the best app out there, I mean – this thing is priceless, is your brain. <laughs> and you can also uh, purchase additional apps like Determination, Follow Through, Endurance, Perseverance. Mm-hmm. But I, it, we are so blessed with this marvel in our bodies. Yeah, between our ears. Exactly. And the best thing to fill with your ears is listening to people. Huh. I mean, my my my... My greatest resource, without exaggeration and without getting too sappy, is my friends. Mm -hmm. And not just magicians, but entertainers, professional people, business owners, entrepreneurs. I just indulge myself to try and keep with their company because I I bounce ideas off of them. Uh, They kick my butt when I start to waver. They they motivate me. They inspire me. their enthusiasm is infectious. The hobbyists, the, I mean, uh, the guys who, I've got two doctor friends, Dr. Jerry Costello and Dr. Mark Ginther. They're, they're magic hobbyists. They do shows. They, but their enthusiasm is, I just love when I'm around them because they show me the newest tricks. They tell me about the latest books. And, uh, and then, of course, there's the full-time pros, the guys who are in the trenches that are experiencing the same things that, I may have to, or I already have. So these are the resources. It's not, yeah, I mean, we all have smart devices. Yeah. The smartest device we have is our brain. Yep. The things that, that pay back the, uh, immediately are friendships that we make with people who care about us and care about our successes while they're working on theirs. Be nice to people. I mean, I talk to kids about this, but it's true. <laughs> to, to treat people the way you want to be treated. Be nice to people. Smile at someone and you won't believe what it will do for them and for you. Mm. Yep. That's resourceful. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, I would also like you to share two books, one of them being performance specific and then 
the other one outside of the performance realm, like a business or a self-development book? Well, I guess the first one would be this thing called The Business of Restaurant Magic by an unknown named Al the Only. <laughs> uh, un- unfortunately, the book is out of print. The only way you can find it is either at a magic flea market or on eBay. But uh, that one and another set of four books that's out of print by my mentor, Dick Ryan, Confidential Booking Report number one, two, and three. And then Dick Ryan also has a magic touch of selling association and corporate clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. I, I, I'm going to throw two more. Okay, that's kind of unfair because <laughs> both, both of those are unavailable unless you really keep an eye out for them. Right. But I'm going I'm to give you two wonderful suggestions of dear friends of mine. Doug Shear has a thing, and Shear is S-C-H-E-E-R, Shear Entertainment. Doug Shear has a... a uh, a thing called Entertaining Education, a comprehensive guide to creating and performing educational magic. Mm-hmm. And the other is Danny Orleans has the art of presenting magic to children. It's a three DVD set. Now, I'm going to hear some groaning. Well, I don't want to work for kids. I'm a corporate entertainer. Or kids, I do trade shows. Tell you what. These people, we all have this, this filter in our brain that even though this is written with the slant of children's entertainment, it's still good, solid business principles. Some of the biggest kids I've ever entertained were drunks at bars. Yeah. You know? So what you do is you, you get a hold of Doug Shear's entertaining education. You get a hold of Danny Orlean's Art of Presenting Magic to Children. And actually, Danny has some other stuff about uh, working corporate, working for teenagers. That's stuff that you can get a hold of right now and actually get some solid working advice. And let's face it, the, 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 the school show that I'm doing is nothing more than a trade show pitch with children's magic and children's and talking to kids. But I wrote that school show the same way I have written scripts for Fortune 500 companies. Hmm. You got to get their attention. You got to get the point across. And you have to wrap it up into a nice little bundle at the end of the presentation as a callback so they remember what you've just spent the last 20 minutes of their life telling them. All right. By the way, I uh, did have the the uh, opportunity and pleasure of interviewing Doug Shear uh, a few months back, and oh, wow. you can uh, you can hear that at successfulperformercast.com slash Doug Shear. And also another quick note to our listeners, links to these resources, uh, as well as the show notes for this episode, will be provided at successfulperformercast.com slash Al the Only. Now, Al, I'd like you to do one more thing for us, uh, and that would be to give a piece of parting advice to our listeners, and then tell us where we can find you online, plug your services, any and any products you might have. Okay, thank you uh, again. Thanks for putting me on. I, I appreciate talking to you. This is this is a pleasure to hopefully help somebody that I may never even meet. All right, a uh, little parting advice: uh, don't do free shows. If you're not good enough to charge, you're not good enough to perform in venues that somebody else could be making money. Hmm. That's a very bold blanket statement because, yes, I do free shows. 
but there are extenuating circumstances that I do them. It's not for the publicity. Mm -hmm. It's not for, oh, gee, what I'm going to get out of this. Most of the free shows I do are in appreciation to somebody who has been there for me, either as a friend or as a client. But I make it a blanket statement because it's easier to comprehend. Don't do free shows, especially when you're taking money away from somebody who could be working that same venue. Yeah. All right. If you think a show is out of your league, pass it along to a favorite local pro. Third thing, never say you can't do something for a client. Tell them that you can, that you can and figure it out. It may cost you short term, but what you will learn will be priceless. Fourth thing, don't believe your own PR. <laughs> Serious. I mean, yes. if we if we were only as good as our promotional material, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd be amazing. <laughs> and then finally, kind of tongue in cheek, marry a spouse with a job who has benefits. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. <laughs> That's going to raise a few eyebrows. Hey, there you go. But it certainly That's, helps. Yeah, sure. And I'll, where can where can we find you online and? Tricky1.com, T-R-I-C-K-Y, the numeral one.com. And just to be safe, I also have Tricky, T-R-I-C-K-Y-O-N-E.com. Mm-hmm. And just in case you forget that, but remember Al the Only, it all interlinks AlTheOnly.com. But the actual website is T-R-I-C-K-Y, the numeral one.com. Awesome. Are you on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that? Absolutely. Uh, I'd love to have people go and like my The Roar Show page. Nice. I'll go uh, check that out. The Roar Show page. And then my actual Facebook account is Al, A-L, last name, Loha, L-O-H-A, Al Loha. Because nice. Facebook said that Al the Only was not my real name. So I <laughs> said, fine. My name is Al Loha. And they bought it. Hey, there you go. The you, last, and, uh, you and Suzanne have had the same kind of troubles. Uh, and I heard others have too. Mm-hmm. But, and then the, the one, uh, one thing that I'm very proud of is something called the Magic Graveyard. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. The, very quickly because I know I've overextended my welcome. Uh, basically, the Magic Graveyard is about the 29 magicians who are buried in the same graveyard outside of Colon, Michigan, the magic mm-hmm. capital of the world. It's a storybook. It's a history book. It has anecdotes, pictures. Uh, every year at the Abbott's Magic Get-Together, I take people on a tour of the magician's grave sites, telling little stories. And finally, I realized that I was starting to forget some of the stories, so I put it in a wonderful book. Uh-huh. You can go to themagicgraveyard.com to find out where to purchase it and to get a little more information about it. Perfect. For for your, your restaurant book, have you ever considered putting that out electronically? I have. I have. I have. I have been asked, begged, prompted. I've had people who said they would do it for me. Basically, what I would like to do is take the old book and update it. Mm-hmm. And with the five years of articles that I wrote for the Magic Menu, yeah. plus – you know, the economy has changed. We have, I've, I've got a couple of different ideas that I would like to add. And basically if, when I put the book out, I would love to have it be the definitive book about the business of restaurant magic. Oh, that'd be and awesome. 
uh, I and I really I really need to do that because of, of all the kind words I get. I still get letters and postcards and emails literally from around the world. Somebody has got a job because of an idea or something they got out of my book, and that is flattering as all get out. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I can help a new generation of magicians by by putting it back out. Yeah, and and certainly, I mean, you, you said. Uh, you know, it contains articles from the Magic Menu, and I have to say, your articles in the Magic Menu are probably the reason you're on this show today. So, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, thank you, Jim Shusty. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I should get him on the show as well. But oh, you we'll should. Figure that well, out. <laughs> see, he gives me credit that he got into the business because of my book, and yeah. now I have to give him credit for getting me on your program. <laughs> there so, you go. <laughs> it's just full circle. It's not the end all be all, but. Uh, it is what it is. Al, the only, you have shared all kinds of wonderful information that our listeners can use to help grow their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience. Thank you, Chris, and aloha. Aloha. All right, that does it for this week's interview. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And a big thanks goes out to Al the Only for hanging out with me and sharing from his experience. Please drop me a line at ks at successfulperformercast.com or on Facebook or on Twitter. I will see you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>